This is Coda Radio, episode 219 for August 22nd, 2016. Welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, locked up in a tower, I think perhaps now, with some stress balls, some liquor, and a keyboard, is Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! You have no idea. <laughs> oh... <laughs> Oh, I do actually. I think, but it's one of those days, Mike. <laughs> I started. It's, it's, I started my day it's off been wrong. An absolute, absolute terrible day. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to dump on the audience, but I'm just like start out with a start out with a little server outage, which we got resolved right before we went on air. Good enough. Uh, but yeah, tomorrow is supposed to be the release of something new on the JB network, and it's just all it's all it's all chaos in the last moments. It's all chaos, Mike. It's all chaos. But uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because uh, we do have several things to talk about today. Is there anything you just need to get off your chest? I mean, this is a great spot. This is a safe space for you, Mike. You know what? You have what I want to get off my chest in the one of the one of the last items. I hope okay. we get to it. All right, all right, okay, very good. So uh, yeah. why don't we? So why don't we move in then? Why don't we warm up with the uh, Coda Radio Coding Challenge? Oh. Wop 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 wop. So. We had a multi-week challenge, and uh, I was pretty impressed with one of the submissions we got into the subreddit. Uh, I know for the- Chris has a winner this week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you like my you like the I think the Bitcoin price skill was a good one uh, yeah, because yeah. I think that's not a bad question to be able to ask the uh, Mycroft bot. Okay. So I thought that was pretty neat. And if you guys remember, two weeks ago we did a multi-week one. Uh, I did not get to review submissions myself, but uh, I think the whole concept is kind of a neat one to be able to. Just create a skill like this, and then all of the users that of that device can install. It's kind of like it's like creating a browser extension or creating a Kodi extension, but it's it's capability of one one person makes something, and then everybody gets that thing. That's really cool. Now that so, is pretty cool. So uh, two eighteen, we talked about last week about creating a uh, visualization uh, from uh, an audio file, and then making a, a complete video out of that, or something, or like playing a, a video loop, or something like that. I've actually started to get a whole bunch of people in there. So, do you want to just make that the official two nineteen challenge? Let's make that the challenge. Yeah, I thought that's what we were doing. Yeah, Boom. I thought so. Okay, so yeah, and I've already seen a few submissions. Just a quick recap: uh, we're looking. Uh, there is a couple of different things we're looking at. One of them is an open source project out there called Pod Publish that uh, automates uh, the uh, publishing of an audio podcast. And one of the things that's kind of neat about it that it does is in that process, it takes an audio file and it takes an input of an image file and it generates a YouTube video that you can, an MKV file you can upload to YouTube. And uh, it's just a still image that is just the duration of the audio file. And that's neat, but, you know, I was talking with uh, with uh, Martin, uh, who's one of the authors of Pod Publish, and he's the one that's been uh, taking it over now. And we were discussing how, how much better it would be if it was something to look at that was live, like um, uh, audio visualization waveforms or a video loop that you could input into the script. And so 
Uh, if you at all want to get involved in that or create a script on its own, it's like just an FFmpeg script that you take something in and it spits something out. One of the things I like about this challenge is this, you could go really far out. Uh, we've even seen some concepts of like a, a Python GTK uh, UI that sits on top of this to manage all of it where you select the inputs and the outputs. Uh, and you can go as simple mm-hmm. as, the, uh, you know, script name, input, uh, file name, output, file name. And uh, it's so there's a lot of ranges. You can go really fancy and just use tools that are, or just go really simple and use tools built into the OS. So uh, we'll talk more about it, I guess, in uh, 220. So that nice. right there in a quick, concise edition is the quarter Radio Challenge. Oh, there it goes. Bop, 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 bop. Oh, man, it couldn't be avoided. It's totally horrible. This is CNN Breaking News. Uh, for our patrons over at patreon.com slash today, there has been a leak, a Snowden-style data dump of the new project we're working on, the secret plans that people should probably hear of, hopefully hopefully tomorrow or sometime soon. Uh, but the patrons might already been – there might have been a document leak. Uh, patreon.com slash today if you want to get in on that. Patreon.gov. So I've been, I've been, ta- I've been uh, tapping – my uh, check for updates button all morning because uh, today Google is rolling out uh, Android N to uh, Nexus I devices. Check for update, check for update, check for update. Ah, ah says my device is up to date. Lies! You are wrong! Anyways, um, what do you think about the fact that they're dropping support for the Nexus 5, Mike? Came out in 2013. Uh, I think it's okay because it's been a long freaking time, right? Yeah, yeah. iPhone 5 is being supported by iOS 10. Came out in 2012. Uh, these are Nexus devices, so these are supposedly Google manu- or uh, you know controlled Google participated in the manufacturing. I guess I don't know how to phrase that. Um, so it seems like if any device in the Android ecosystem, you could be a sure bet to have a nice multi-year support. It seems like the Nexus. So it seemed like a little bit of a. A little bit of a bummer, but yeah, I, you know what, 2013, uh, and the Nexus devices are not super expensive phones to begin with, so it's a little bit easier to swallow that. Uh, I got to say, I did play around with uh, Android N for a bit, and uh, I, I found the battery life improvements to be pretty noticeable. It does was improved quite a bit. Um, the <clears throat> notification systems are better, I would say. I don't really care about the multi-window uh, multitasking on a phone so much, but on a tablet, which I don't have an Android tablet, well, I guess I have some old one. Um, yeah, no. I mean, there really aren't that many good new Android tablets that yeah. are out in the market. Yeah, are you gonna? Are you gonna? You have a Nexus device, don't you? Don't you have a Nexus device? Well, I have a Nexus Five X and I have a Nexus Seven, but eight. yeah, and the Seven's yeah. getting dropped too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yes. yes. Uh, so, what do you think, Mike? Uh, are you gonna upgrade the Five X? You just gonna go with the flow? Are you gonna be tapping that update button? Uh, I probably. Probably will. I wish. I wish I could say no. But. Yeah, and you know, here's why. Here's why we get we get the privilege on the uh, Nexus devices to do it. That's why you have a Nexus device. Because right. otherwise, let's be honest. Does this really does this really apply to many people? I feel like it doesn't. Yeah, I read an article that seemed like the premise was to argue that it did matter to a lot of people. But then when I read through it, there was nothing to substantiate that. In fact, I like if I wanted to get a new phone because honestly, I'm not thrilled with the six P. Uh, it's big, it's it's heavy, but also, I mean, really, what I don't like as a as a father is I can't get any pictures of my kids because mm. it just it, the camera is so slow on this thing. So I thought, gosh, maybe you know, getting a Samsung device, which are known for having great cameras. But I'll be honest with you, I just if I can't if I can't update it regularly, I just doesn't really appeal to me. So I'm kind of stuck waiting. In the meantime, I'll just cup my uh, Nexus Six and continue to tap the uh, update button. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. It's going to be a gradual rollout over the next few weeks. Um, you, if you're in the preview program, you may already get it. Uh, in fact, that may be, that may be the tricky way to get it right now, just go and roll in the preview program. 
Um, so check it out. It looks like a pretty good update. We'll have a link in the show notes. And after I get it on my phone, I'll come back on the show with a further, you know, whatchamacallit, review, I guess. I don't really like to call it a review, but I guess just an updated take on it. I'm kind of curious to see how it works in conjunction with the new version of Android Wear 2 and all that stuff. Hopefully it'll, it'll resolve some of the issues I've been having. All right, Mr. Dominic, anything you want to contribute to that? No, not much. I mean, I, I really haven't been following up too much on the, uh, you know, Android updates because they don't matter. Yeah, and that one's a kind of a simple one, actually. There's not, yeah. I mean, it's a good one, but there's not, there's nothing substantially changed that, uh, like, it's not like a huge, like a huge change from like four to five or four to six or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Cyanogen Nightly's, Altera says, would be another way to get frequent updates. That's very true. As of right now, we're recording this. They haven't released the factory images, but I'm sure probably by the end of the day or tomorrow or I don't know. Usually they come out kind of quick. Usually by this, by usually pretty quickly in news cycle, you can start finding like Android Authority writing about how to manually install the image, which I think they already have one article about that. So, all right. Well, let me pause here for a moment and uh, I'll stop grousing about uh, my rocky morning and I'll tell you about something that's pretty impressive. Linux Academy just keeps continuing to grow and add partnerships. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you go to support this show. Linux Academy is a platform to learn more about all the technology stacks that really make people money these days. If you want to get noticed by your employer, if you want something that checks that box for the client when they're trying to make a decision, or if you just want to challenge yourself and learn a new technology. You know, we were talking uh, recently with Noah, and uh, I was talking to him. He's like, so what got you into back into Linux Academy in the last few weeks. Like, well, I just, I decided there was something I wanted to figure out and learn and it was just time to tackle it. It wasn't any particular motivation. He just wanted to get it done. And you'll hear more about that uh, in an upcoming thing soon. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there to vote for keeping this show on the air to get the Linux Academy, uh, to to register. Hey, thank you, Linux Academy, for supporting the Coderator program. That's where you go. You land on that page. That gives us sort of the little uh, nod. And then when you go there, learn more about their platform. You get their labs and exercises, their hands-on scenario-based labs. It's a really great way to learn. They have self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. They have lab servers that spin up on demand that you get SSH into. It's a great way to study for certifications. And they have learning paths, which are a series of courses and content planned by instructors for specific types of career tasks. They have instructor mentoring when you need it and a community full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So this is something that I got a lot of people tweeting at me or emailing me or redditing or whatever, just all the different ways people submit stuff all the time into the different shows. And I kind of wanted to talk about it here with you because it sort of fits into an overall narrative that you and I have been checking in on over the last couple of years. Microsoft last week, just a little bit after the show, announced that they're open sourcing PowerShell and they're bringing it to Linux and uh, the OS X. This is kind of a kind of an unexpected move. I really did not ex- I did not expect to see PowerShell coming. I just thought that was sort of a, a Windows specific thing. All the all the power and all the shells. I don't really know what to pull from this. Um, it seems to be sort of an interesting play, especially when you combine it with the fact that they've open sourced.net. And they've got Bash on Windows. I mean, my head is sort of spinning now. What do you what do you what do you grok out of this, Mike? Yeah, it's it's weird, right? Because I would expect a lot more. Um, I don't know, right? General usefulness from. See, I even hate to say that, but really, like, uh, Bash on Windows to me makes a lot more sense because a lot of the platforms you're working with, a lot of the things you're doing are effectively, you know, Unixy, right? Ruby, Java, stuff like that. Are there really people who are 
Like, damn, I wish I could get some PowerShell action going on here. Yeah, I'm wondering, is it... So here's my here's my kind of sussing this out. I think it, it might be about trying to not turn a bunch of existing PowerShell scripts and knowledge into technical debt and making it that PowerShell translates to Linux servers on Azure and it's, it translates to Linux servers running Hyper-V on Windows. Maybe it's sort of one of these things where as an acknowledgement that Linux is coming more and more even into the Windows heavy data centers, even if it's by virtualization, that they have to make certain moves to keep some of their core tools relevant and this might be one of them. Like this is more about keeping PowerShell relevant as Linux becomes more of a contender in all the different areas, even Microsoft's own Azure service. Does that seem feasible? I guess, but I mean, it doesn't make a, um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me at the end of the day. Uh, J6 in the chat room says that, uh, like, for example, some people on Arch want to administer Azure and Windows servers from their Linux boxes. That I could buy, too. I would have loved some tool sets as a Linux user that was an admin of a Windows. I just used remote desktop, which got the job done. But that would be really great if I could if I could do some of that kind of stuff, like help desk stuff or uh, automating of those kinds of things. It, it could mean – it could just – gosh, you know, when you think about it like that, hell, it would be useful just on the back end if there was a way to call it like through some web apps. So you say you have some internet apps that run on your Apache – say you've built some sort of Apache – or LAMP stack to run your internal intranet or whatever the hell you have. Uh, it's Linux-based in this scenario. And now all of a sudden, you could create front-end intranet uh, admin pages to do some back-end AD manipulation via PowerShell. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but I actually worked in an organization that you would log in. It was running on an Apache box um, with its whole LAMP stack, and you would log into the intranet with your Active Directory credentials, which was a, which was a trick that we pulled off. And then based on your Active Directory group membership, you would see different aspects of the internet. This wasn't, this wasn't PowerPoint or um, whatever the hell it's called. Um, this, wasn't, this was just a custom PHP-based internet that we built. And one of the things that we, you could do if you were an HR person is you could modify the user directory, which went and updated backend information in Active Directory, which then updated people's Exchange, Outlook, address books, and all of that. And so if you could if we could have used PowerShell to do some of that that would have been super handy cuz we would have integrated that in with our existing infrastructure lickety split. So you know a lot of those uh desk developers who are creating internet sites and backend tools for to make their business run smoother that's I guess who this is targeted at. And a lot of them are probably using more and more Linux stuff especially with uh, VPSs and virtualization and containers and all that, that's just every time those kind of new the new wave of a new trendy technology came has come along in the last five years, it's been sort of in the server space. It's been pretty much on the Linux platform. It's a pivot. Either way, you know what? In either way, it means uh, there is now PowerShell up on GitHub. Right. I mean, you know, additional stuff being open source and free and accessible is Always not good. bad. Yeah, yeah, but. It's just weird. It it's it's interesting because it's it's it is obviously just trying to figure out what the bigger picture is here. And I think every time they make a move like this, we're seeing another card that they're playing. And uh, so far, I like the picture that it's painting. Um, I gotta say, I think I think a a world if Microsoft could honestly and truly get to a place where Windows wasn't the center of their universe, 
And we and that started and that meant we started seeing a lot of their tools be released for other platforms. Right. I mean, we're really right now. This is all nerdy, geeky infrastructure stuff that we're seeing. You know, it's the, the most user, the most user facing thing we've gotten is a code editor. Right, but, but can they do that? Right. I mean, because that's that's kind of the question. Can they actually get away from Windows as being the center of their universe? My gut says no. That's why. That's why every time they play a card, and I start to see their hand, and I start to think, "Gosh, is this really going this direction?" I go, "That can't be. They can't actually mm-hmm. because losing total control of the platform." That's that is not that is not Microsoft anymore. Right. It seems crazy. Like, just it, I don't know. Hmm. Well, you know, Mike, we guess I guess I guess we just get to sit back and wait while uh, Sache weaves his master plan from a yeah, Microsoft. Yeah, he's been planning tower. this for years. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. He, yeah. His his ascension to the CEO leadership was just part of a multi-year arc. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about playing the long game. I mean, Sach has been biding his time since he was eight years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did Microsoft exist? No, but he yeah. was there. He was thinking about it. Yeah, he was planning it. Yeah, he was planning yeah. it. Yeah, he, he's the one that uh, got uh, Bill started on the whole thing. It was really a long – it's a long play, but uh, you know what? It seems to have worked out for him. It's defined as the longest of games. So um, I, I saw a post over at uh, – it's this website that I've been frequenting. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's Buccaneer.io. Oh, yes. I was all fired up. I'm still fired up. Three ways to kill your app before it launches um, mm. over there at the Buccaneer.io. And uh, th- that, a title like that, I got to be honest with you, it got my attention and I thought, uh-oh, what happened, Mike? You're like, uh-oh, Mike learned SEO titles. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. So – I bid on a lot of projects, right? Like that's what I do. You know, I'm I'm in a long term fixed bid that's probably a uh, long term ongoing deal. It's probably going to end soon, and I'm noticing like all kinds of crazy crap that always was going on, but seems so much worse now. Hmm. So if you, Chris, were going to have someone build you a house, and you said, "I want a house." And someone just said, great, that's, you know, $20,000. Would you trust that builder to build you a house? Um, I don't know how there's, there's, there's no way to build like a totally, there's no way to build like a totally stock, or I mean, a totally original creation house at a fixed price. So I don't think I could. The only way they could guarantee me that price is if it was a kit house. Right. If it was a kit house. Or even scarier, and I'm hearing a lot of horror stories of, you know, there used to be this thing called the documentation or discovery phase, right? Mm-hmm. You remember this. You're old. Like, you know, we're... Ouch! Well, I think we groused about it a little bit last week, too. It's, I think we did, where, where clients might actually go ahead and, you know, pay for something to be spec'd out for them. Yeah. See if it's feasible uh, or not. Yeah, that has totally fallen out of favor, it seems, in this new swanky modern world that we're living in. Um, folks are just kind of buckshotting projects here and there and saying, well, if I get it, I get it, and I hope this one's profitable. What I'm finding is interesting is that there's been like, a, I, don't, I don't even want to say like a perverse effect on the market where people are frankly no longer willing to you know, do the homework of, of any documentation. Like, mm. even, even 
bid at a, you know as a loss leader, not willing to do it. And how does that translate into sort of damaging the market? Well, if you don't know what something's going to take, you really don't know what it's going to cost, right? This this is the the fundamental problem here. And it seems seems that there's just a whole lot of people kind of making it up as they go along. That would seem to square with a lot of things I have observed in my life. <laughs> right. It just seems like, oh, and if we're not profitable on this one, well, hopefully we're profitable on the next one. But So and then, I, and then so the part that – and how that damages the market is in the way that it tweaks the client's expectations. Exactly. Exactly. It really – creates I don't even know what to say like a, a situation of not inflated but maybe just unrealistic let's just say unrealistic expectations where a lot of clients now believe that like they can like go in with a napkin sketch get a fixed price and they're going to end up with an app that they can actually use and that's and- so far from the truth I mean that is I, that is might be doable if your labor is super cheap or if you have a kit that you can build from that is like sort of like a, a cookie cutter cookie cutter out an app for somebody you know like uh, Libsyn does this super popular podcasting hosting platform uh, you can go to their website and uh, as a Libsyn Pro subscriber you can just upload all of the different art assets they request put in the different text mm-hmm. that you need uh, supply the RSS feeds and uh, hit submit, and in a couple of days, you've got yourself a, a, a podcasting app that you can uh, sell to your audience. That is one way, right? It, the, the problem is I don't think that's what's happening. And I don't even think that's that effective because these folks don't want that, right? They don't want, you know, skin me an app that you have. And, you know, there are companies that do that. There are plenty of Indian companies that do that in particular um, where they will give you an app that they've skinned over and over again and you know they very honestly sell that as a service why you know on multiple levels why do you want this right why would you ever want a skinned app but more importantly what what is going on in the market where we went from 10 years ago everybody knew oh you need a documentation you need discovery you know, you, you really need to have a go-to-market strategy. You need all these things to where now, hey, we've had three conversations and I really, really, really want a fixed bid. You know, the only thing I can f- figure really without having having tried to sell uh, uh, development uh, services myself would be that everybody needs an app and a website now. And 10 years ago, uh, it was sort of like you could convince a few people to spend the money, but it was – remember, I mean, it, even even then though, then you had problems paying because people thought, well, I don't really know if this is worth it. Like right. they, yeah. then you had problems on the other end of the deal. But it seems like now it's just more of there's just a higher volume of, well, I got a coffee shop and uh, we have daily specials, so we should probably have a website or we should probably have an app. So that way we can have cu- customer loyalty uh, you know, thingies in there. It's just one of these things that – I think it's a very 2016 problem where the 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 bar of who now needs to have an app or a website is just about you have to be you have to be a really small business or company not to need one of those two things. So I have a theory that's based totally on like human psychology, right? Oh, I love it. Um, in fact, this was just on NPR. People are much more 
prone to defend against a small loss than to go for a big gain. So let me give you a real world example. I am offering a D&D for about $1,000 right now, which is a loss, right? That's a straight loss. That's dirt cheap. But people will not spend that because they do not see the value in a documentation phase. But they will spend blindly $15,000 on an app that, one, is probably not enough money to get an app done, so garbage in, garbage out. And two, has never been spec'd out, never had any serious thought to a launch strategy or anything like that, and is basically doomed to fail. Does that make sense <laughs> by any like logical... Um, Sounds like what the market really wants in most cases are websites that just look really great on mobile too, but they don't know. Well, I, think, think- I think that's also true. I think most of these uh, small businesses that want apps actually really want mobile responsive websites. Yeah, but they think they need an app. Well, and they've had bad experience with like WordPress developers. Do you see J6 like in the chat room says they even have an app for their garbage collection schedule at where he lives? I find that incredibly useful, actually. I wish I had Like that. a push reminder? <laughs> hey, notification come incoming. No, I wish I had a notification, like, put out your freaking uh, rubbish. That would be the trash. The trash collecting truck is uh, one block over. You better hustle. I would like that, actually. Um, yeah. I think, um, like, my health insurance has an app. My bank has an app. Everybody has an app. Everybody. Everybody. So, yeah, this is the thing, is they don't really need to have this thing in the app store. They don't need to have these in the Play Store. But... Then we come back to my favorite old grindstone, and that would be the platform. And the platform Mm -hmm. forces the user into these app stores for discovery purposes. And let's be honest, it's, for the most majority part, a safe, clean, easy experience. You install an app, you don't like it, you delete it, you're pretty safe installing from the Play Store or the Apple App Store. And so it's just, I think there's there's enough pressure either via the platform channels or the scare of uh, cyber villain, villainy that people prefer to just install from the app store and discover that way. And then it's just push the businesses that are trying to reach these users into the app store too. You see, it's interesting though, right? Because using your case of, let's say, your local coffee shop, and that makes a ton of sense for him. But he can't pay $1,000 for discovery. There's no way, man. No way, huh? I don't think so, No. So you're saying the the real problem is that I have this problem when I when I talk to people about when I've had well, this, this it's think about it think about it from an advertising perspective when when companies want to advertise on a Jupiter Broadcasting show they've got to spend a certain amount of money and then if you know you, as a business you've got to be able to see ideally more than a return on that investment think about that. Think about that pitch. Hey, I want you to come onto this show. Now, thankfully, I don't actually generally approach any sponsors, but I have talked to sponsors in the past that I've, you know, we've they've contacted us or I've reached out to them as sort of like, hmm, what do you think? You know, feeling things out, starting to get a, a sus, sus out for where things are at. And the business has to be in a position where they can afford. Well, that's true. You have to have money to do marketing of any kind, right? Well, and you have to be willing to sort of experiment sometimes because I think for a lot of these companies, that's this is where I draw the equivalency here. I think for like the local coffee shop uh, or another, you know, this Mike, where I live, there is literally not a single chain business. All of it is mom and pop shop companies. 
and businesses. And a lot of them could use these kinds of services, but all of them, they would look at it as a wild experiment of $1,000 to see if this is reasonable, and then God knows how much to actually get it done, and then what if we want to get it updated? Oh, that, doesn't, that sounds too complicated. I think for a lot of them, it's either too complicated or they, they want the wrong thing. Hmm. So you actually think that they're, they're sort of building the wrong products and they're getting uh... – Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I actually am thinking of right now of a, a family-owned downtown restaurant, and um, you know, they wanted to have they wanted to have something mobile, and so they they had somebody redesign a site and put it all together and repackages an app, and you go to click on the menu and it opens up a PDF on in the app. It's just disgusting. But the thing was, is that person was able to do it. I think it was like for three hundred bucks, and that's what they were right. willing to spend on that. Right. But then wouldn't you just not have it? I mean, that's kind of my point. If you're if you're going to build something bad, why build something at all? I don't know if they'd fully recognize how bad it is. I think some of it sometimes comes down to taste, but also some of it comes down to just not being exposed to it a lot. Mm. So you think, oh, well, they don't use apps anyway. So to them, hey, we have an app. Yeah, just the fact that it's almost like having a Facebook page they don't really keep up to date either, but they got a Facebook page. It's got a few posts on there. They got their business information on there. So that way the people on the Facebook can find us, just like the people on the iPhone can find us now because we got an app. It's the same. I think it's that mentality, and to them it's just not worth that much. That seems crazy, though. That really does seem like total insanity. Yeah. Yeah, what they all really need is just super simple, clean, mobile responsive websites. All right, well, let's take this a step further, though. Folks who aren't really just looking for mobile responsive websites, right? Okay, yeah. Let, okay. That's really who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, sure. you know, okay. your, your local coffee shop. Um, I think a couple things have happened in the marketplace. It's definitely true that the market has uh, cooled some, right? I mean, you know, we talk about the gold rush. We talk about the, you know, the 2008 craziness. But I also think that we've actually gotten a lot of really, really unhealthy competition. Mm. And when I say unhealthy, I don't mean, oh, competition that hurts traditional shops is bad, though I may actually think that, right? Um, I think these are competition that aren't actually competing in the game of providing value. They're competing in the game of, well, we're the only person they can afford, right? They're being Walmart, but they know they're selling broken products. Mm -hmm. And that just seems like something I thought we corrected out of the technical industry in the seventies, right? Like this industry has actually gotten down in quality, not up. You know, I, I remember watching this happen to uh, websites. You know, it used to be a huge multi-thousand dollar deal to get a website. And then it slowly came down and down in prices. People just started throwing things up on some, you know, GoDaddy well, shared hosting. Thing. It's like the, right. the market eventually sort of does a race to the bottom, it seems. But those efficiencies you're talking about are efficiencies from tooling, right? Efficiencies from, you know, GoDaddy exists, WordPress exists, stuff like that. You still need to know what you're building. So the project's, you know, 50 hours instead of 500 or 5,000. That doesn't mean you don't need to blueprint out what you're doing. Right. In fact, I would almost say that it means you have to blueprint it out more um, because by not doing it, everybody has a lot less margin, a lot less hours to play with. You know, on a on a forty hour project, you have almost no margin to make mistakes and learn from them. But this might just be a grumpy old man missing. You know, Mosenrath says the bargain ba- uh, basement organization determined 
the world through cheapness. And then Solbuck says the race to the bottom started when companies started hiring, stopped hiring people over 45 years old because that much experience and skill was too expensive. You know, um, my 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 takeaway on it is it's there's certain practices over the years that have gotten to be just too damn expensive. And I don't know the way around that particular one because it seems like if you're trying to go for a certain um, level of client, that would be a pretty important tool to have because it sets expectations. It gives everybody a scope of work. I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty important step. I, I guess you're only you're only cho- I mean, your only real choice is to, to 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 try to gimmick it up. To be honest with you, you got to gimmick it up. You got to you got. I mean, you've already done a sale. You did that. Uh, you know, you mentioned you had a sale. Right. right. That's a good step. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. But maybe about a, maybe packaging in the end in the end cost too. Like you know, there's a discount. There's a there's an there's a couple hours reduced. There's a set whatever it is. Uh, because uh, to be honest, there's less risk and cost for you if you do discovery. So there might you might be able to find a spot where you could, I don't know, gimmick it up. So, you know, I, I've, I've been talking a couple of weeks. I'm doing this like adventure talking to sales gurus and marketing gurus. And uh, they all have this word they like to use called productize, which is very interesting because this is very much a service industry. right? But what, they, what they're saying is you should make, make your offerings appear like a product. Yeah. So you're not buying custom development services. You're buying an app for X dollars. That that rings true with me. Even discover, you know. So one of the things we would do, <laughs> you can translate this, I think, probably pretty directly, is one of the ways we would uh, when I when I wasn't a uh, when I didn't do one to one client relationships, but when I first started in the IT contracting world, I was an employee of another company, and then I they went out, I went out to their to their high profile clients and whatnots. And one of the things that one of the tools that they developed over the years to get, you know, they tried mailings and newsletters and they tried yeah. traditional sales calls and, you know, going down, and let, let us tell you what we can do for your IT infrastructure and improve your business flow. But what they found really worked for them was selling a security audit. Let us come in and do a full security audit of your network. We'll come in and we'll find vulnerabilities. We'll, we'll do up a full report and then we'll meet with you afterwards to show you where the flaws were. And I, as the person doing the security audits, I will tell you honestly, they, I didn't, I didn't um, jazz up the results because everybody has horrible issues. And so it's just they're super – I didn't need – there was no lie needed. Like there was legitimate problems and always obvious technical debt and misconfigurations and I was particularly skilled at solving those things, so it worked really well. So they come in, they sell a security audit. I come in, I do penetration testing, all above board, all all you know, signed off on, and we come back with a very comprehensive because we had a format we'd put it into. I'd spend an entire day writing up a report, and then sending it to my boss, and he'd go through it and finesse it, and then they'd come together with packages that they had names for for maintaining their network with a certain block amount of hours and then an hourly rate after you exceed that amount of block hours and a proactive um, monitoring if they wanted it as well all different product names all different uh, sayings or you know things like that and that that sold so much better than hi there i'd like to tell you what we could do for your network and make things work a little bit better for you and maybe save you some money amazingly that didn't work that's that's that didn't work no, yeah. I mean, hey, would you like to like get more sales and be able to have your salespeople sell things on the road and you know make more money? No, I don't think I want to do that. It, it's it's interesting though because if you can, okay, well, let me ask you this, and maybe this is where the IT uh, maintenance and the development industry kind of differ. Was there no risk of those productized services 
somehow not being communicated direct correctly and going over scope or anything like that. Now say that again. And so reframe that a little bit. So what now? So one issue with attempting to productize development could be the customer doesn't understand what that means. Feels like they've been taken for a ride. Ah, uh, right? yeah, yeah. I suppose you could overdo it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. I would well, say I, I, I wouldn't suppose that. I mean, just go ahead and Google um, Google fixed bid project hell or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And or even Google Google like web development scam or something like that, and it will always be cases of vendors selling fixed bid projects and the customer not really understanding what is and what's out of the project. So I don't think you productize the scope of work. What you productize Mm -hmm. is the service itself that you're offering. So the discovery phase is productizing to something that's amazing and and it's problem solving and, and it sounds great. The the how you break up your work if you want to do it hourly if you want to do it by milestone that's a product that's the product yeah. but the work itself yeah, you could get that, down as nitty gritty as you want yeah I can tell you so far that does not work <laughs> so it works pretty well for us but I guess you yeah. know we're we were we were selling sort of um, a different product but it seemed to me the the fundamental issue was. There are things in their life that matter to them a lot, like saving mm-hmm. money, making their business better. And then there are things in their life that are a life and death survival of the company. And and it depends on how what problem you're trying to solve, how how much you have to come at them with a little bit extra blitz. And, you know, for sometimes for like hospitals, when we'd find stuff, it's like this is a HIPAA violation where, you know, we've all signed an NDA here, but this is a HIPAA violation. Just so you know, your current people have left you in a spot that the spot that is exposed. That is something that if you utter those words in front of a doctor, they jump on it right then. That's a life or death situation for them. If I come at them and say, you know, here and here you got two switches connected together only at 100 megabits. And uh, it could be a gigabit or even, you know, could be connected over fiber. It'd be a lot faster. You go, okay, that's really great to know. Thanks. And then they'll, they'll never engage on that because it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite reach, that, reach the threshold of that's worth a thousand bucks. So it's a sense of urgency. So your guys' strategy was basically we will productize the thing that you are most unlikely to be able to say no to. And like J.B. Hawke Truth says, it's sort of like productizing the foot in the door. We, whatever it takes to get the, the foot in the door, we don't scam them at all. Everything we're doing no, no, is No, I'm not suggesting you were ripping people off, right? The, the foot in the door is a big deal, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to foot in the door the D&D, but the problem is people don't really want that. <laughs> so, or I, I can't get back. The people who want it are the people who would have paid more for it anyway. So it's only yeah. like stabbing my yeah. in the chest. The people who don't want it are basically, you know, I want, you know, I have X thousand dollars. I want an app and I want it to be exactly what I want. Right. And I'm not going to be happy till it's what I want. Well, think about think about what we're really doing. So another way to describe what we were saying to them is, hi there, uh, we're somebody that has a website and a name and some references on our website. Mm -hmm. We would like to go through your network at every single level and just look at it. And just just pick it apart and then come back to you and suggest that you hire us to fix it. That would never get us in the door. You can't call it that. So, you know, you call it a network security discovery or a network security audit. You call it something like that because that's something they want. But letting some random guy come in there and, and build something to tell them how they could spend more money or, or fix something. So they see me as I'm going to come in that door and then I'm just going to make them spend more money once I'm in the door. And that's the perception I want to break. Put through the door. Yeah. 
foot in the door dressed as a Linux penguin. <laughs> yeah, let me come in and tell you about how Linux is going to make all of this better. I'll tell you something that also uh, that didn't go so well. It's uh, it's negative in the freedom. <laughs> dimension. All right. Well, Mr. Dominic, this I find this uh, this is an interesting path in which you are traveling and uh, yes. I'm glad that you chose to share it with us because I think it's a interesting lens into which a greater trend is developing. Great. More on this in a future episode of Code Radio. Stay tuned. But first, Stay our tuned. friends over at DigitalOcean. That's right. We have sponsors that love keeping this show on the air. And you guys out there in the audience are a huge, huge part of that for using the sponsors and taking advantage of their promo codes, like using the promo code Coder Digital. DigitalOcean is a freaking amazing platform. Super simple, straightforward to get going. You can get a dedicated server up on their infrastructure in no time. You can deploy in seconds. Usually, I say less than 55 seconds, but legitimately, depending on the data center and time of day, I've seen stuff like it's 37 seconds. Now, the reason why I mention that speed is every point where you reduce the friction. Yeah, I'm using that term. Every point where you reduce friction, it makes spinning up a DigitalOcean droplet that much quicker and easier. It means it's quicker to test that idea out. It's easier to try that new thing out. That project you wondered how it works, don't waste installing on your machine. Don't take up the space. Don't install the extra libraries. Don't configure all the crap. Don't expose your machine, another network port on your machine. Just throw it up on a DigitalOcean droplet. They have hourly pricing. And they have monthly pricing depending on how it works for you. And if you use our promo code Coder Digital, you get a $10 credit. They got block storage. You can go all crazy with the storage. And everything at DigitalOcean is SSD backed. They have an API that makes it super easy to work with their systems from a remote location. Like, you know, I was just recently, this morning, working on a server outage. And I was like, well, I'm going to just try – because it was a software thing. I'm like – Maybe I'll just try rebooting the server, right? And of course, I'm I'm like nowhere near the office yet this morning. Fired up digital, the DigitalOcean Droplet app on my uh, Android phone and rebooted my Droplet on the go. Now that's using on the back end their easy, straightforward API. And the great part is, is I didn't have to write that. There's already tons of good open source applications that take advantage of it. They have an HTML5 console that gets console access from the very beginning post all the way up to the login screen which is super powerful. They also have team abilities so you can work together and they have great documentation. You can get started with a base Ubuntu rig or Debian box, Fedora, CentOS, CoreOS, FreeBSD, or the entire application stack. You want to try out uh, the XAMPP stack? You can. Why not? FreeBSD's got that ZFS support like that Alan Jude's always talking about. Now combine that with the block storage. I just blew your mind. Ubuntu 16.04, built-in ZFS support. Combine that with the block storage. Increase your pool size on demand as you need it. Oh, my gosh, all the things you could do over DigitalOcean. Really great interface, super nice API, fantastic documentation, and our promo code CoderDigital. That's all you need to get started. DigitalOcean.com, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thanks to everyone out there for using the promo code CoderDigital. One word. So uh, I wanted to get a little feedback into the show before we uh, scurry out of here for Mr. Dominic. And uh, this one, it's a little self-serving, but I feel like it's pretty great for the audience, too, so everybody wins. Uh, there is a positioning – how do you call it a, de- a deckhand? I don't know what the vernacular is over at Buccaneer I.O., but there is a deckhand position opening up. That's what I'm going to yeah. call it. Yeah, so we're looking for a little bit of uh, junior Android help. We, we have uh, a couple internal things we want done. And they've just been languishing for about mm, a year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, one to two years of experience, working knowledge of Android Studio, uh, like an app you could uh, show for reference, understanding material design, familiar with agile practices, preferred, and working in a distributed team, also preferred. So is it remote work? 
Uh, no, we're this time we're preferring someone who's on site. So there you go. So you go. Uh, that might limit down, but you could find out more if that might appeal to you at Buccaneer.io. I'll we'll have a link in the show notes too. So just maybe banging out a few things that have been uh, hanging around. You know, like danglers, as it were, Mr. Danglers. danglers. We call them danglers. I wanted to also respond to a little bit of feedback we got on Coda Radio 218 from a couple of folks on the subreddit. The first one came in from Typeface. He says, uh, Mike, he thought it was hilarious that you were giving daily stand-ups a hard time uh, and then later complaining about getting stuck in Slack. He thinks the two things are maybe related. Um, He points out that – he thinks that stand-ups can be done correctly, just kind of depends on the team, which is probably fair enough of all things, I would say. He said, I would love an episode of The Downsides of Agile because it's hard to implement and probably not suited for all projects, but a fair I look. I think that's every episode, but keep going. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I agree. And he says, uh, um, but I have to look at the difference between the Agile Manifesto and Companies Trouble, trouble and Executing it. Very true. Very true. Uh, Beef KI writes in. He says, I found that people tend not to appreciate – this was in regards to uh, – Last week, I, I, you and I were talking about how it feels like software development professionals are valued lower than, say, an electrician or a plumber or another trade skill like that where, you know, you, you wouldn't question if, a, if an electrician, you know, I guess I tried to say that the, the way we look at it is we value their skill set as something that regular people couldn't do. And so we hire in a higher esteem where it seems like software development has and even IT work in general really has not quite reached that level, even though it's it is all it is absolutely one of those things. And uh, Beef wrote in and said, "I found that people tend to appre- uh, not appreciate software developers like they do plumbers or electricians because software is ephemeral and it's intangible. There's nothing people can touch, and even showing them code, there's no appreciation for the knowledge that goes into that. You just." Know how to put words on a screen, he says in mm. scare quotes. Software is also easy to share, again, scare quotes. So you only work on it once and then keep selling the same thing, again, scare quotes, while the plumber or electrician has to continually practice their craft. I would even add another point to this. Um, you know, a lawyer is unlikely to tell a customer that the other lawyer from his firm sucks. Yeah. Right. Software, we have this really weird, like, alpha geek thing going on that's. Um, you know, I've been on projects where I am the best developer. I've been on projects where I am the worst developer. Mm-hmm. And that usually has a lot more to do with the process and your onboarding than, and, and, and also perception, right, than anything else. Like I've, I've actually worked with one developer who I thought was awful, mm. truly awful. Two years later, I worked with him again, and he was great. What was the difference? The process was different, right? I'm a very taskless driven kind of guy i want my jira tickets i want my trello board i want something like that and i will just burn through those tickets other people are not other people can kind of go with the flow i will i totally fail if i don't have like an organized sprint of what i'm doing Hmm. Hmm. so it's i think there's different styles now having said that of course there's a variance in skill and everything like that but you know i think i don't think it's yeah go ahead well, I think the other problem is sort of what he, what Beef was saying is it's really intangible in some regards. I know I definitely felt at times when I did IT work that uh, when things were working really well and everything was going smooth and everything was super fast, nobody really knew what good I was for. And it was only when things broke and everybody got mad at me that they knew what I did, but everybody was upset at that point. And it was this really – software is so much like this in the sense that 
there are things that you work on to get right that people will never even know how hard it was. They don't know the kind of skill that went in to pull that thing off, and they may not even appreciate why you went to that distance. And so they are then all of a sudden the ones ascribing the value to your work, even though they Absolutely. literally are incapable. Uh, and I'm not being insulting because it's just just there are like my like my accountant is I, I it's the same thing. I, but I've, I but yet I value that work very highly. But I would I I look at that it's the same thing. There are or an electrician. There are certain skill sets that I find to be extremely valuable. But I think part of that is because an accountant relates to money. An electrician, I can see when the lights are on or off. Like they're very one to one value ratio. Software development, that one to one ratio doesn't exist. So there, you have to sort of be able to conceptualize the value a little bit. And if you don't have the complete picture, what you conceptualize is probably a very very um, unfavoring sort of less generous view of the amount of work it takes. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of things here that you could possibly unpack that we don't have the time to, you know, I would also argue that someone coming in Greenfield on a project and someone coming in Brownfield, that's a pretty big difference. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, it, you know, there, there have been, I mean, there are, there are talks given on this all the time, right? Bringing people into an existing project. That, even for me, has been one of the hardest things, both as the bringer and the bringee. It's really hard. That's why I don't like when people say, oh, you can change developers anytime you want. You can, but that's a super expensive horse to change. I mean, that's like, I don't think I would ever do that hmm. if I were a client because yeah, have been on the other side of the table and been the new developer on a project. Um you know, especially in the case where like the previous developer isn't so willing to transfer knowledge or he like assumes, you know, how to do all this stuff, with right. whatever, whatever tools he was using. Yeah. Yeah. That you yeah. could somehow vision quest what his uh, methodology and reasoning was. <laughs> I right. love those it, ones. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, uh, I have been there. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. So, well, Mr. Dominic, we got to get you out of here, but in the meantime, yes, why don't I encourage people to go over to the Buccaneer IO website and see more about your posting, three ways for an app to die, or that job posting. You can also follow the network at Jupiter Signal on the Twitters. There's a Coder Radio feed if you'd like to get us in video or audio. Did you know that? That <laughs> turns out. Mr. Dominic, if there's anywhere you'd like to send people throughout the week, go ahead and plug it away. I'd love to know. Uh, just Buccaneer.io. Man, I read your mind earlier. Don't forget. Also, we love your reviews on iTunes from time to time. Helps people discover this show. And coderadio.reddit.com, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for our live times. We'll be back here next Monday. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.